0: Thanks for joining us as part of your day on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. ClarkDeals.com is where you find the latest, greatest bargains. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark-rageous moment, oh boy, salespeople masquerading as looking out for you When they're stabbing you in the back, I have an update for you with your investments. And coming up in a half hour, this is crazy. You know, when you have an iPhone, it's so frustrating how often the screens break. They are incredibly sleek devices, but they are fragile. Now, Apple is testing robots to fix them. I'm going to tell you about that. And right now, I want to talk about something that's been a beef of mine for as far back as I can remember. It's when your and my money, our tax dollars, are used to benefit a private purpose, not for you and me, but to subsidize billionaires. And this has become a plague across America with the sports teams, these billionaires that own the football teams, the baseball teams, the basketball teams, not really so much the hockey teams, but the owners threaten that they're picking up and they're moving, and there's always some city that's desperate to get that team that will dangle in front of the team a brand new arena or stadium that the taxpayers pay for and line the pocket of a team owner with hundreds of millions of dollars by subsidizing them. I think about St. Louis that kept just pouring money in to stadiums for the Rams who had already moved from Los Angeles to St. Louis because St. Louis gave them basically a stadium. And then when St. Louis said, we're not going to do it anymore, Los Angeles then does it for them, and the team goes from being the Los Angeles Rams to the St. Louis Rams and now is back in Los Angeles. The Oakland Raiders went from Oakland to Los Angeles, back to Oakland, and now they're moving to Las Vegas because every time somebody would give them money, they moved again. Your money and my money. But nobody has been crazier at this than Atlanta that has in one year managed to give huge taxpayer subsidies to the baseball team the football team, and the basketball team. Nobody has pulled that off. It would be like a city winning a bunch of championships all in the same year. Atlanta couldn't do that, so they figured they'd just throw hundreds of millions of dollars at the three teams and give them new palaces to play their events in to make their billionaire owners all rich. Now, this is funny. You know, in a time when it's so hard to get anything bipartisan, a Republican senator from Oklahoma, a Democratic senator from New Jersey, have proposed legislation that would make it more difficult for communities to offer government subsidy to sports teams. But it shouldn't take a congressional act. It should take an act of good sense and judgment and we should not be in the business anywhere in America of throwing billionaires free money. Let them pay for their palaces. They want to build a monument to themselves, which often they are. Let them pay for their own monument. I assume the pharaohs paid for their pyramids Let the sports team owners pay for theirs. And if they want to threaten everybody, well, if you don't do it, I'm moving somewhere else. Eventually, they'll run out of places to pull that game. Lisa is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Lisa, you're thinking of being generous to your teenager. What is that? How does that work? Well,
1: my husband and I, are we disagree on what we should do and I told well him doesn't he call, know
0: you're automatically right
1: <laughs> I'm hoping that together <laughs> we can we can prove that okay yes um so my car is um it's going to be paid off in about um 10 or 11 months and that's a, the same window that my teenager will be in the market for a car and my husband's car is about six months older newer than my car and he thinks I should give my teenager a 2013 Lexus and I should get a new car because we know who's owned our car, who's taken care of it, and he doesn't want three used cars in the family because of wear and tear. And I think I, I don't want a car payment. I bought this car with the intention of keeping it, you know, for 200 to 250,000 miles. And having a little bit of, you know, car payment freedom.
0: Well, gosh, this is terrible because I'm with you completely.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, So, all right, in your scenario, where does the third used car come from?
1: It would be my son.
0: No, but, all right, so you've got got your car, you've got your husband's husband's car Mm -hmm. six months newer than yours. So I missed something. What would the teenager drive?
1: Well, that's just it. My husband's like, you know, if we bought him something, we probably wouldn't buy him anything brand new. Right. Because he's a new driver. Exactly. So so we would buy something. Oh,
0: so he's uh, saying, hey, he takes the Lexus and we get you a new car. We know the history of it. Got all that. I I think your idea makes much more sense.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Because, you know, you... You were at to this. point. it's
1: still new. Um, it's still newish. It just doesn't have a payment.
0: Right. Yeah. So he'll be he'll be plenty happy with what he gets to drive. My attitude with a teenager is if you're kind enough to let a teenager have the privilege of operating an automobile, that you decide what it'll be, and at the same time, you're going to have a huge increase in auto insurance premiums. Mm hmm. So why at the same time take on a new payment on another car?
1: Right. Yeah, that's what I'm
0: So you and I are in that completely practical camp.
1: Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so tickled to talk to you. Thank you for for responding.
0: Absolutely. And you have a great day. Follow me at Facebook.com slash ClarkHoward. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask gary is with us on the clark howard show hi gary
3: good afternoon clark
0: how are you doing
3: i'm doing well thank you sir
0: uh you have something that's distressing though that i have seen the same movie as you what's the scoop
3: yeah about four
0: years ago uh,
3: i was diagnosed with a minimal amount of prostate cancer two years later approximately two years ago i was i had another biopsy in which there was no cancer found At this point, my current term life insurance is about to come up for renewal, which includes a very hefty increase on monthly rate, not to do with my diagnosis, but because I'm simply 15 years older. So I started looking for new term life insurance, and I'm being told that even though it was a minimum amount found, I followed what you did at the time that I was looking into it, and then. Follow the watchful waiting advice uh, rather than having it surgically removed or use any kind of radiation. Um, again, the cancer is, has no longer been found. It's not I don't think it's gone but but the problem is that I'm just not able to find anyone that will take my insurance
0: policy. You are right. In fact, I discovered that I am completely uninsurable and I have been through a lot of those biopsies and isn't that interesting that they do, A test for medicine with a nail gun feels (laughs) like it, doesn't it? (laughs) It sure does. So my last biopsy showed no cancer, but I've never had treatment like you, and there are roughly somewhere around 40% of men that are diagnosed with prostate cancer who have non-life-threatening prostate cancer. The problem is the science has not gotten to the point where it's clear who those 40% of men are. So the insurers insurers don't like risk. They don't know if it's just a fluke that it's not showing cancer growing in you, and that for them, the unknown makes us redlined as uninsurable. So it's going to be a few more years, not not an eternity, but a few more years till a full, clear, genetic form of testing takes the place of Now, the PSA and the other stuff with prostate cancer. And at that point, it will be very, very clear that you are insurable again if your genetic markup of your prostate cancer shows that it is non life threatening. In fact, there's even talk among oncologists that specialize in this area to come up with a new designation for someone like you, Gary, where It will be almost like when people have a colonoscopy and they'll have something called precancerous polyps and so you're not considered to be someone with cancer and they remove those polyps to have a system like that a designation for prostate issues that would be referred to as precancerous tissue rather than as prostate cancer but today you and i are sunk because the cavalry is not charging up the hill yet, or down the hill. Which way does the cavalry charge? I guess whichever way the land goes, right?
4: Right now, I'm up the hill. I'm going up the hill. Yeah, to find coverage.
0: Yeah, so you and I have no chance.
3: So, and, what does one do if they want to protect their family?
0: All right. So, if you work for an employer who offers a group health insurance, I mean, a group life insurance benefit. For now, you take advantage of that. Is that a possibility in your case? Yes, it is. So that's what I've recommended with anybody who has disease or circumstance that redlines you from life insurance, is that you do buy in the group environment where there's no medical underwriting. Okay. And if you wish, waiting for this bridge period till we become insurable again, which will happen, you can consider... With the term life you have, even though you've run through your 15 years, are you offered an option at a much higher premium to continue without medical underwriting as annual renewable term on the policy you already had?
3: Oh, yes, but it is dramatically higher for monthly rate.
0: But if the alternative is you can't get it at all and you need it to protect your family and you can't get sufficient coverage piggybacking on your employer's group life insurance it might be a thing you should consider. Okay. So that's the best suggestion I have to a very difficult problem. But the good news is you and and me, we very well likely are in that group of people who have completely non-threatening cancer, non-life-threatening, which is the best news of all. That is true. The insurance is just a detail in life. The fact that we... Are not going to have to worry about our lives from this. That's great stuff. Today's Clark Rageous moment is about something that has frustrated me so much because so many people have worked so hard over a working lifetime, worked so hard to live on less than they make and save it, have had crooked people come along and rip them off. And now, because of the big controversy about Whether somebody who advises you being a fiduciary, a term that nobody outside Wall Street knew, has become pretty common. And so now there are multiple published reports that people are faking it and lying to people and telling you to get your business that they are a fiduciary, which means they have to put your interests first. But wait till you hear what's happening in today's Clark rageous moment.
4: Scams,
0: ripoffs,
4: outrages—it's a Clark rageous moment.
0: So this the person who is handling your money will tell you. Let me tell you, trust me, I'm only here for you. And then, according to USA Today, an item I read there, they are then putting a document in front of you and the pile of things you sign for somebody to handle your investments called a BICE. And what that is is a document that says you acknowledge that the person is not working for you at all, that they're working for them. And they're going to do what's in their best interest, not yours. And guess what? The way the courts interpret this is it makes no difference that the person has told you that they're there for you and working for you and representing you, all the courts look at is you signed that thing that said they're working against you. And you said you accepted they're working against you. I know it's sleazy. I know it's terrible. So I don't have an easy way for you to make sure that someone you're looking at to handle your investments is working for you instead of conning you. So at Clark.com, I put together a list of the companies you know you can trust with a commentary explaining how each of them does business. But that without a doubt, if you go to any of those companies, they are putting your interests first and not smiling in your face and stabbing you in the back with your money you've worked hard for, which is absolutely Clark-rageous. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, and we'll be right back. Glad you're with us on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address, Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask me a question, but Hey, we're full service here. If you have a question you want to get answered and you'd love to talk with a member of our team, we make that free and for far more hours than we do the show each week. Team Clark is available to you as a service of our show for now just at 25 years. If you go to Clark.com on your smartphone, you can dial right from it to get off-air advice Nine hours every day you see the details, the hours at Clark.com. If you're looking on tablet, laptop, desktop, you won't be able to dial obviously right from it, but you'll see how to be able to get that advice and what hours were there to serve you. With smartphones, and especially with iPhones, the most fragile part of the phone is the screen. And I think about... How many people I see who carry iPhones that have the cracked screens? iPhones are a beautiful piece of art that also is a phone. They are, they are beautiful devices, but they are also I- extremely fragile. And so the cracked screen syndrome is a terrible problem, so much so that Apple has developed a robot That fixes screens. It's available in the Apple stores, and now a lot of independent dealers who've signed deals with Apple can have the Apple robot to fix screens. They have a cute name for it called the Horizon. That's actually not that cute, is it? (laughs) Anyway, it's called the Horizon robot. And so you can go in and pay what typically is like $150, I think, to fix a screen. But there's a much better answer. And prevention is the best cure. Do you know you can buy for about $5 an add-on glass screen that is not really noticeable on an iPhone? You can buy these at places like Five Below. You can buy them on eBay, you can buy them on Amazon, Walmart.com, you buy these things, and whatever iPhone model you have, you just put the additional glass screen on it, and then when you break your screen, you're likely breaking only the $5 add-on screen, not the one that costs $150, to replace and then what you do as I've seen my daughters do repeatedly you just replace the $5 screen with another $5 screen and everything on your iPhone works just as it always would with the add-on $5 screen that's much better than the robot and inquiring minds want to know How is it that so many Chinese cell phone manufacturers have been able to make virtually unbreakable screens for their phones, and the Koreans and other cell phone manufacturers like Apple and the Taiwanese and all the rest have not been able to make screens that don't break? Why? 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 Is it... As some cynics would say, they want your screen to break so that you'll feel like you should get the next phone model. And speaking of that, did you hear that somebody did a study that found that people, when a new Samsung or Apple phone model has been introduced, that people seem to somehow magically become careless with their phone and break it because they have envy of people with the new phone, and they can't bring themselves to buy it. But if their phone breaks, then they feel justified in going to get the new model. Kelsey's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Clark. How's it going? It's
5: going pretty good. I'm pretty excited.
0: Tell me why you're excited.
5: Because I love your show, and I'm excited to talk with you and get your advice today. Oh, well, thank
0: you. How can I serve you? What advice can I help you with?
5: I am a salon owner, and I'm looking to relocate. And I have a few employees, but it's been difficult to find good employees to stay and keep the salon running successfully, although it is. And I'm kind of in a debate where I'm not sure if I want to just close the salon and relocate, hire a manager, and keep it running from a distance, or possibly sell the business. And um, I guess my main question is, what's your advice on selling a business? I currently have somebody that I found lined up, possibly to manage the salon, and then take over. We've talked about it, and that's in her interest. But I want to make sure I kind of have all everything covered to make sure I do this the right way. So, so there is no advice. there is
0: no one right answer when you're okay. selling a service business because when you're selling a service business, what made that business tick, what made it work, was you. You are the glue that has allowed your salon to work and to succeed. And so the idea of you moving somewhere else and being an absentee owner with a manager operating it, I think that it would spiral down.
5: May I add something? I've actually already done that, and my manager took a new position, so I came back to the area and I'm back at the salon running it but it was still going successfully when I already wasn't there.
0: That's unusual I will tell you that's unusual but that goes back to what I said a minute ago every situation selling a service business is different. What about I think you briefly alluded to my favorite method of selling a service business where you're really selling the ongoing business and that is that you have somebody operating it who buys it from you over time so that they have a a specific reason to want to see the business do well because eventually it becomes theirs. Yes. Do you have somebody who, now that you're back, is there somebody who you've identified who might be a candidate that could do that? Yes, sir. Well, I love that because there will be people who, through very hard effort and hard work, will build a business, maybe not with the cash up front, but pay you off over time and ultimately end up owning that business, and it's a great way for you to exit and get some money out of your hard work. Okay. And selling to somebody who's like a UFO stranger where you go find a business broker, people do that, and you might be able to make that work. But if you've identified somebody who you think can operate the business, I think that's your first best destiny.
5: So in that case that I have somebody lined up, I think that will potentially work well. Is there anything that you suggest that I should be aware of? Um, You know, in the process, I'd like to relocate and have her as the manager. Should I stay until she's decided to take
0: over? There is no right answer for that okay as far as what happens with the change in ownership it should be clean in other words at the time that the person has earned their way out to operating the business however you would structure that they should from that point forward own it and be obligated for it and you should be out you don't want to be a little bit in and they're a little bit in and then maybe it's not working well and it gets awkward and i think it's it's one or the other is in charge if you're living somewhere else in the country okay but there should be a very clear formal written agreement on how this key person would become the owner of the business and replace you and again there is no exact thing it's what you know based on the situation that exists in your business this individual how long it might take them to pay it out how you structure the deal but it, okay. it should not just be a conversation. It needs to be a agreed to, clearly written, because even when it is clearly written, sometimes it'll blow up. So it needs to be very clearly written what the deal will be between the two of you. And how much do you think you'll be able to sell the business for?
5: Well, according to the accountant, it was a significant number, but I don't actually own the building. I rent it. So I don't feel that the number that's involved like that the accountant recommended is what i would get at this point i kind of have my heart set on relocating so if i have to close or get an amount for it i'd be happy with a lower number and i mean are you asking me for a significant number i would
0: yeah i, d- I just want to know is it a number that you think this individual would be able to wrap his or her arms around who would, I would be, buying be willing it to
5: work with that to make that happen okay um, all
0: right, well, then, then that's how you structure the agreement so that you can exit and this person has an opportunity to, to fly with it and build a life for, for themselves with your business. I think that's great, Kelsey, but psychologically, don't check out of the building before you have what is a clear deal on how ownership would change. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard our web address clark.com when you got a question for me go clark.com slash ask harriet's with us on the clark howard show hi harriet
6: hi uh, this is grandma I've got three teenagers and My question actually is, they're each um, either working or getting some presents and so on this summer. So each of the three of them will have a little bit of spare money. And um, I'm wondering what you think is maybe the best way for them to start investing for the future.
0: Well, I love this thought. So they're going to be making some money and you're just trying to guide them or are you also offering a grandma match?
6: Oh Well, the graduation present has been given. The birthday presents have been given, so it's just guidance.
0: Okay. So how many of the, you said three grandkids?
6: Yeah. How many of them are working? Okay, the 19-year-old is working, the 17-year-old is going to start getting paid, and the 13-year-old, I don't know, he'll find somebody to give him money.
0: Okay, because for the 19-year-old and 17-year-old, then the answer's different than for the 13-year-old. Yeah. Because for the 19- and 17-year-old, if they're working, they're eligible to, and to do it as a teenager is a great thing, to set up what's known as a Roth account.
6: Oh, to go Roth. Mm -hmm.
0: Because if you go with a Roth, the beauty of that is a dollar put in at 19 or at 17 Mm -hmm. will double over and over and over and over again over a lifetime, Mm -hmm. and it does so tax-free, and then the money's spent tax-free. Yeah. So that's the most powerful legacy you can leave with them, is that if they take money based on, because they can't put more in than what they've earned on a job this year.
6: Yeah, well, they won't put it all in, but I'm really trying to encourage them. And somebody, one of them, asked a parent or something what she should do for the investments, and uh, I thought i better look at it.
0: Well, how much money do you think it'll be?
6: I'm thinking anywhere between 500 and 1,000. Could be a little bit more than 1,000. A
0: because 1,000 is a key trigger that makes is it a it? whole lot easier. Okay. Because at 1,000, the 19 and 17 year old can open accounts with Vanguard, mm-hmm. the you know the investing co-op. Uh huh. And it just gets really easy then because they can put in the thousand dollars and a Roth as long as they earn a thousand dollars or more this year no
6: they'll probably earn more as a matter of fact I think one of them said she expects to pull in maybe five thousand great and then she's the one who was looking to see what to do and I thought you'd make the best suggestions
0: well the thousand is the entry point to it be is, okay. in vanguard's orbit And then Uh she can put the money in. The easiest of all is to put it in the target retirement fund. So that's a real easy thing that can all be done for the 19-year-old in like 10 minutes. Yeah, For the 17-year-old, it's more complicated because they're not considered to be an adult yet. Uh Uh So a parent would have to open what's known as a custodial account with Vanguard. And they could
6: do that with a Roth, oh, yeah. It's cust- called it a, as a, Roth.
0: a custodial Roth mm-hmm. for the 13-year-old. Yeah. all that's off the table. <laughs> so for a 13-year-old, as far as putting money aside, you can do a custodial investment account. Uh mm-hmm. But that will be subject to tax and will affect the 13-year-old's ability to qualify for financial aid. Uh mm-hmm. huh you know if college is going to be part of the picture and financially it would be part of paying for college mm-hmm. so it's not as easy for the the younger teenager
6: maybe he should just buy a cd or whatever the highest rate that we could find around here i was thinking
0: well, which will not be much and will not be very exciting to uh a young child you know what i okay i got a crazy suggestion how into uh, um any of this is the 13 year old is 13 year old do you know have any interest in how investing works or companies or anything like that
6: oh, maybe a little bit maybe a little bit
0: because an alternative would be to open a child's account at charles schwab which only requires a hundred dollars and the 13 uh-huh. year old can invest in something like a broad market fund by non-commission just uh-huh. put money in and own little pieces of all of american capitalism uh-huh. And that'd be a great entry point, much better than going into a CD, because a CD just sits there. It doesn't create any real engagement with the teenager that I want them to learn the basics of investing. I want them to learn what happens when people take risk and start new businesses and new ideas and all that. So I think for the 13-year-old, a Schwab account would be a great, great choice, and I love it that you're guiding them and you're helping them out. They're really going to benefit from that, Harriet. You know, you got a question for me. You can post it to an Ask Clark on Clark.com, and then we take them right here on the air. And, Joel, who's the first Ask Clark you got? Clark Todd says, most of your advice is for people in debt and or struggling to save money. Have you ever considered writing a book for rich people, people who make plenty of money and save a lot. I trust you, but most of your advice doesn't quite fit my situation. So congratulations to you that you have gotten rich, and there are lots of people that specialize in dealing with the very, very wealthy in the country, and I like to serve people who are trying to make it, or make things better in their lives, rather than people who already have lots of money. You have the option of paying someone who is a fee-only person to give you guidance and advice. And so because you have the resources and the wealth to do that, it's not where my area of interest is going to be because I want to make sure that people who don't have the resources have the information and knowledge that they can use so they get to that point. So I'm sorry I'm underserving you. We'll be right back. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you living on less than what you make. Think about that again, less than what you make. I want to talk about that in just a minute. Clark.com is our website and ClarkDeals.com is where we try to save you money, stretch your dollar, with deals we update continually every day. Coming up in a half hour, there's some conspiracy going on to try to make it tougher for you to eat healthier. I'm going to tell you what's going on and what you can do about it in just 30 minutes. Right now I want to talk about a study that finds that 70% of American adults have almost no money saved and one in three have less than no money saved, meaning they are 100% broke, maybe in debt. If you look at people that are retirees, half of retirees have virtually zero dollars to their name. This is something that really distresses me. Remember I said Our mission is to help you keep more of what you make. And when you listen to our show, you get a distorted picture of how people handle money because, you know, we deal with self-selection. A lot of people gravitate to something that fits what they're about. So that's why you'll hear people call up on the show. And it could be somebody who's got a house full of kids, and they still are managing to save a lot of money. A lot of it, and it's by the way, it's not about what you earn because there was a study years ago that found that roughly one in four people who make a below-average income in the United States have managed to save a decent amount of money, a substantial amount of money over time. It's mostly, it can be in life circumstances... But mostly, it's about how our attitudes are about money and our desire for immediate gratification. To me, when you live life on fumes, where you're one paycheck away from financial Armageddon, it creates too much anxiety. I don't like anxiety in my life. In fact, I think I'd be prone to anxiety And I do a lot of things in my life to avoid it. Like I used to be bad about being late to things and I'd be anxious about it. And now I'm never, ever late. I allow enough time to deal with a traffic jam or whatever. And it creates serenity for me. And I think with money, a lot of people could create serenity just by instituting some simple Changes in your life. I believe, and I say it, I believe it fundamentally, that little changes, little changes, can lead to big benefits over time. Starting always, if you've never been able to save for a rainy day or anything, start by saving a penny of every dollar you make. I had somebody the other day, spout it right back to me. You know, I increase what I save every six months by 1%. That's been a core principle of what I've been about for all 30 years I've been on the air, that you do things slow and steady and build habits. So if I'm speaking to you, if you're part of the 70% of adults who basically have nothing saved, please Start somewhere. If you have any kind of retirement plan at work, start with one penny on each dollar you make going into it if you haven't been doing that. If you're in the half of Americans who have no retirement plan offered to you at work at all, do something like the apps I've talked about that allow you to invest a little bit every week or that save your change I've got a list of those on clark.com like coins is one that saves your change and there are a number now that take your change or a couple of dollars a week and they start investing money for you and this is a way for you acorns is the oldest of those A-C-O-R-N-S dot com, charges you $12 a year to help you build an investment portfolio. Just think through baby steps, baby steps, little teeny steps to change habits. And then over time, you build up your resources, you build up your financial security, and you deal with the rainy day because the rainy day always comes. Patrick is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi Patrick. Hi
2: Clark. How are you
0: doing? Great. Thank you, Patrick. How can I be of service to you? Well, I have a question
7: about credit cards. Um, let me just give you some quick background. I'm 23 and my wife's 24. We just got married recently. We
0: Congratulations have- to the two thank of you.
7: you. Uh, we just bought our first house and we've already had to repipe the house and there's a little bit more work. Obviously it's the first house, so it's not in great shape. We, we both have a little over 10000 in retirement. We have a little bit over 5000 in a mutual fund. Um, we have some maybe $10,000 in cash kind of as a reserve.
0: Okay, um, so stop right there. Money. Stop right there. Stop right there, Patrick. Sure. I need to acknowledge what you have said in rapid order. You're 23. Your new bride is 24. You've already managed to buy a home. You've already accumulated money in retirement accounts you have money sitting in savings of i think you said 10 grand yeah that is very very impressive well we in were, your early my 20s
7: my wife and i were both very lucky our parents were able to pay for our college outright so we came out with you know no student debt of any kind and um, we both were actually able to work while we were in school part time and since our parents were paying all that money kind of came to us but yeah, we're, we're focused on saving and focused on, you know, getting our life in order quickly. So it's been a lot of work, but we're proud of ourselves.
0: But, you know, when you focus on it, it's like anything else. When you set that goal, you set that target, and I hear the determination in your voice, you get there. It's only the question of the strategy you used, the tactics you use to achieve yeah. what you've laid out.
7: So my question for you is, since we just got the house and like I said, we've already had to repipe the house and the... This- there's some more work we'd like to get done sooner than later. We've gotten some offers for, you know, 12 or 14 months, 0% credit cards. And, you know, we have a couple credit cards already. We pay them off every month. We don't carry a balance or anything. But in lieu of getting, you know, any type of a loan or saving up to pay for it, we're wondering if getting one of these 0% credit card offers and charging the housework or the, you know, the stuff we have to buy for the house to those, and then paying that off sort of as a 0% loan as opposed to to waiting around and doing stuff, because obviously we don't want to have to dip into our reserves or anything like that.
0: So the idea Uh, is that you would use the 0% card with the idea of paying off the full balance before the 0% period ended, Yeah. and that would not be just something you would pretend you're going to do. It sounds like you would really do that.
7: Oh yeah! If
0: you would really do that, then that sounds like a winning strategy.
7: Okay, we just weren't sure if you know. Like I said, we already have a couple credit cards. We're not sure if opening up another credit card would. That's fine.
6: That's
0: fine.
7: Okay, and then once that introductory rate is over, I'm assuming you'd say that use it twice a year kind of thing, so you have that balance showing up in your in your ratios. A hundred percent. Okay. And then I did actually have another quick question that I thought you might find rather interesting, if that's okay. Hit
0: me with it real fast.
7: Sure. When I was in college, uh, my parents put me on as an authorized user on their credit cards. And when I went to go apply for a car loan shortly after college, my credit history showed up as me having credit history since 1983, which is when they opened the account originally.
0: Yeah, I keep getting this call from people that that they're showing credit history. I mean, you you were responsible with credit when you were uh, one year old, right? Uh, before, I mean, I was born in '91. Oh, I'm sorry, I I, my, my math's wrong. So minus eight. I was born. Minus I don't eight.
7: I do not know how that. Yeah.
0: And I've been having that, that call. Up. I've been having that call several times lately, where the authorized user status dates back to before your birth, and that's just funny. And so <laughs> that's not gonna okay. that's not gonna hurt you in any way. It okay. just is a fact that. The credit issuers are showing the authorized user status based on the original date an account was open instead of when you were added for authorized user, and it enlarges, enhances the credit history that you would show otherwise. Crazy, crazy. Cindy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Cindy. How are you doing? Okay. How are you? Good. Thank you. How can I be of service to you?
8: I've been on my job for a year, and I'm at
0: Sign up for 401, which I've never had, and I just need some advice. So your 401k plan, does your employer give you any kind of match on the money you put in? Uh,
8: Yes, 75
0: cents. 75 cents for each dollar? Yes. You know that's fantastic. Okay. No, that's not okay. It's great.
2: Okay. We need
0: Tony the Tiger to say great. Because that is really, really good. You know, a quarter of people, approximately, have no match whatsoever from their employers on their 401k. Okay. And usually matches might be 25 to 50 cents on a dollar. Very, very rare to have one like yours. I had somebody recently who was getting dollar for dollar. That's even more extremely rare. So they give you 75 cents, Cindy, on each dollar up to, is it 6% of your pay? So rule number one, no matter what, you need to put in 6% of your pay Okay. because if you do 6%, they're then going to match it with another 45 if my math is right, and you'll have 10.5% of your pay saved for you every payday. Okay. And it's free money. Okay. Because if you went to your employer right now and you said, hey, you know, I'd like a 6.5% raise they'd say, you see that door over there, (laughs) right? Yeah. But you, without even asking them, can grab a 6.5% pay raise. Right. So that's the first thing. Actually, I exaggerated, didn't I? But you get the idea, 4.5%. Sorry. Okay. So you grab that 4.5% by putting in the 6. As to where you put now the 10.5%, Does your employer give you, like, a zillion choices in the plan, or 10, or 20, or 5? Like, how many choices do you have you can throw your money into?
8: I'm not sure yet.
0: Okay. I will tell you, so you're, like, get-go beginner here. You're starting out as investing, right? Right. How old are you? 50. Okay. I would like for you to look at what's known as the Target Retirement Fund which will be one of the choices you have in the plan.
3: Okay.
0: And so are you going to work another 20 years, 15 years? What are you thinking?
8: Probably 20. Okay. Maybe more if I can keep going.
0: All right. So it would be a reasonable expectation for you to go in what's called a target retirement fund. Okay. And so these target retirement fund choices are not in 100% of our retirement plan offerings, but they're in most of them. So what happens is they will, over the next 20 years, they'll keep changing the mix of what you're invested in to make it less and less, quote-unquote, risky. Okay. Because 20 years out, you don't need to worry about what happens with the investment world today, tomorrow, next year, the year after, five years even after that. It's way in the future that that would matter. Okay. So you want to be an investor. So you just put all of it in there. Okay. All your 6% and all the employers 4.5%, all of it goes in there. Okay. And then you're done. Oh, wow. So if you've never saved money before, though, right. and you get to the point where you're living okay putting 6% of your pay in, mm-hmm. sorry, but I'm going to ask you to go to 7 Okay. And then maybe later 8% and on like that because you have some catch-up to do Okay. so that you end up with a really hefty amount of money that you have to live on later in your life. Okay. Okay? All
8: right. Thank you,
0: so And best to you in this job. And again, they are really generous, and I wish more employers were that generous with the money they throw into a 401k. Erica is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Erica.
1: Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call.
0: It is my pleasure to have you here. And- understand you have been diligently saving money, and now you have some savings, but you can't figure out which way to go with that savings. Is that about it?
8: Yeah. My husband and I have been saving up to have a baby at some point, although it hasn't happened just yet. But um, we also accrued a couple thousand dollars in credit card debt, and so I'm just not sure if I should use that money to pay down the debt, either fully or partially, or if I should just keep it aside for its original purpose.
0: Okay, so th- here's the tough part about this. Your savings is earning about zero. Yeah. The credit cards you're paying an interest rate of?
6: Well, it kind of depends, yeah. Different cards.
0: But you, but if you took them all, they're somewhere in the teens, aren't they? Probably, yeah. So you're having to work too hard to pay on the credit cards because those carry interest. The money in mm-hmm. savings is earning nothing. mm mm-hmm. So how much do you pay per month on the credit cards?
8: Um, well, the minimal payments for all of them are about 25 each. I like to overpay when I can, but lately that hasn't really been able.
0: So you're just accruing interest charges and not going anywhere with the balance?
8: Unfortunately, probably not at this point.
0: Okay, so I would say that it makes sense to wipe out the credit card balances. Mm-hmm. And then whatever the minimum was you were paying all total for the credit cards each month, that becomes a mandatory bill for you to pay back into savings each month. Oh, okay. So that way you eliminate the interest charges. you got to put the cards away. Because yeah. if you keep using the cards, I'm just putting you into a, a hole there. But if you pay off the cards and every month write a check for $100 or so or whatever the total of all the minimums is... You will replenish the savings, but you'll get rid of the credit card debt. And good luck having that child. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anybody ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask me a question. But we got more for you. If you want off-air advice, we make that as convenient for you as we can. 45 hours every week, you can get free off-the-air advice. You'll see how to do that right on our main screen on Clark.com. There's something I've seen on more and more food package labels lately. It's the new federal rules for how to display nutrition. A lot of food manufacturers already fully in compliance the rules were about to go into effect where people would be required to do so and now in a sneaky sneaky underhanded thing that can undermine the health of Americans the FDA of all people has suspended indefinitely the new labeling requirements, under great pressure from the junk food manufacturers. This absolutely stinks. And the reality is, the new labeling requirements were awesome, because if you wanted to know if something was okay for you or really terrible for you, the new rules made it as simple and clear as it could be. So the way the new ones are designed, and this is how you'll be able to tell if a food manufacturer is trying to hide the truth from you or not, is the calories of an item are stated in big letters, big numbers, and bold on the label of an item. The other big change of the new rules is they can't, say, in order to make an item seem not as bad for you, where they list a false typical serving to make the calorie counts and fat and all that look better. They've got to list a real typical serving. So you can't play games with yourself. And I love that. And I think it's just is terrible that people who've got something to hide want to hide the truth from you. And I think they're making a mistake because what has been happening around the country are these people that want to ban you being able to eat a cookie. Well, I don't know anybody said I tried to ban a cookie, but trying to ban the sugared soft drinks and all that. Let you make the decision and give you the information. So if you want to look, you can do that. And if you don't care about it, you don't have to look. Plain and simple. You know it's got a lot to lose if the rules had gone into effect, like they were supposed to. I said cookies. Go look at the labeling on a package of cookies in the supermarket. Or go look at the labeling on chips in a supermarket. And they'll list a serving size that nobody limits themselves to because if they told you the truth that if you eat a normal serving size of these cookies it's going to be 2,000 calories or the chips are going to be 1,400 calories for normal serving size and you care about that kind of thing you're going to put it back on the shelf so since the junk food companies have been able to block the rule It's up to you and me to look at the label, look at what they call a typical serving, laugh, multiply that by 10, and then you'll have the real serving. So you just add a zero to whatever calories they say on it, and you'll have the real number. Now, a lot of people don't want to know, don't care, fine. In fact, most people, you know, with the restaurants and the states that have required calorie counts for a while, Studies have found that less than 20 people actually pay any attention to the calories. I'm in that less than 20%. And I don't want anybody to say you can't have whatever, the sugar or high fructose corn syrup or whatever it is, icing on the whatever. I just want to have access to the knowledge. When you try to pull one over on people, You end up with regulation you don't want, and I don't want to see either. Give people the truth. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Great, thank you. You're thinking of buying a rental property.
4: Yes, I am. living in it right now, and it's a family-owned property, but it's owned free and clear. So I'm not too sure which way I want to go with it. I I want to try to hold on to it if I can.
0: How long do you want to stay in that property?
4: We're possibly looking at moving due to the area. We wanted to get our daughter into a better school, so we were thinking about moving you know, in a year or so. So what
0: would you do at that point? Would you turn it into a rental property yourself?
4: Yeah, I would use the time between now and then, and maybe even a couple of years from now, I'm not sure, I would use the time to turn it into the rental property and make sure it's going to run its own you know, for a while.
0: So you're living in it as a renter right now. You have the option of buying it. You buy it, you live in it a couple more years, and then you turn that same property into a rental property that you're the owner of. Yes. That's a great idea. As long as what you would be paying each month for it is an amount that you can cover and maybe even have a little extra, converting it in a couple of years back into a rental property.
4: Yeah, the idea would be to pick it up at a low enough price where I could live in it, pay it out, pay it off outright. And then by the time I'm ready to turn into a rental property, it would be free and clear again.
0: Well, I love that. I love love rental properties. But you have to have the right personality for it. I had somebody come up to me. It was at Costco the other day and say, you know, you got me all excited about rental properties. I went and bought one and now I'm selling it again because I hate being a landlord. So (laughs) you got to have the right mentality to be a landlord And not everybody has it, and you got to do the homework of screening tenants properly and be willing to deal with the calls about this needs fixing or that needs fixing, and somebody doesn't pay, you got to be willing to kick them out and all that. So as long as you've got that personality that it would be appropriate, rental properties are a great way to diversify how you build a secure financial future.
4: That's how I'm trying to sell it to the wife you know she's still making her mind up. okay so wait wait
0: (laughs) if your wife doesn't feel that way and would hate being a landlord i wouldn't do it because even if you say don't worry about it honey i'll handle everything somehow it bleeds Uh over Uh and it becomes like a sore thing that that she's not happy with you about so she needs to be all in on it with you
4: i got you i think that's that's what i was looking for
0: yeah so if she she's not going to buy in then even if it is a tempting, intriguing kind of thing, I'd let it pass because you don't want to create in a marriage tension over money and especially over a rental property. Trust me. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Kelly is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kelly.
8: Hello, Clark. Thank you.
0: Kelly, you had an unfriendly event happen in your life. Share with me.
8: Okay, so I recently had someone get into my car and stole my purse, which had my wallet in it, and oh. some other things.
0: Oh, what all did they get in there? I'm really sorry.
8: In my wallet, I had two Social Security cards, mine and my son's, and I know I'm not supposed to carry that on me. I just didn't know his by heart and i've needed my social security for multiple things so i did carry it and two loaded guns
0: wow yeah so someone we already know is a criminal now is an armed and dangerous criminal with two loaded guns
8: yes definitely
0: wow all right, uh, anything, that's that's quite a list already, any, anything else that they got two of? Because we sound like Noah's Ark here, <laughs> two Social Security cards and two guns.
8: Well, they got some credit cards in there, but I canceled the ones that were in it, and I didn't have any cash in there. It wasn't my main wallet that I carried. I have two different purses.
0: All right, so I, I'm curious about something by the time you were able to cancel the credit cards, had they been used at all?
8: No, they were not.
0: Okay. So the criminal was not in a hurry to run up credit card charges. So that's that's all terrible. What kind of questions do you have for me that I might be able to help with?
8: Well, I Googled stuff to see what to do as far as my Social Security cards go. And I called to do a fraud alert on mine and my son's card, which he's only 10, and they told me I had to send in verifications of the address and ID and stuff like that for his. But when I called for mine, they said that they would also forward it on to other credit unions. That way that I wouldn't have to call multiple ones. But I'm wondering what else am I supposed to do besides a fraud alert on my Social Security because I was told that you can't get a
0: new number. Right. So the dangers with the Social Security numbers, number one, involve credit, that somebody applies for credit as if they're you. The yes. fraud alert step is a very, very weak step for that. And there is an alternative you can use called credit freeze that at most would cost you $30 to set up. Fee is set by state. Some states are free. Others cost like $9 to set up a credit freeze. Some are 15 And again, the most in any state is $30. So you set up a credit freeze, and what happens is each of the three credit bureaus issue you a secret code. And without that secret code that would only be known by you, no one can impersonate you and apply for credit as if they are you that's cool the fraud alert thing you did is just kind of window dressing it doesn't do anything other than if a credit card company or anybody like that or cell phone store bothered to check they would know oh i should ask more questions to make sure this really is who they say they are yeah where with the credit freeze The criminal can go in with all the information they have about you, and they still can't do anything with it. Okay. So the credit freeze I have at Clark.com, I have a guide to how you set it up, and you can do it by state. I've got the whole thing done for you, where you walk through step by step. Now, for your 10-year-old, you said 10, right? Yes. Some states allow you to do the same stuff for a child. Others don't allow Uh, credit freeze to be done for a child and I've got a list there for child credit freeze and you'll be able to see if you can do one for your 10 year old but the procedure they talked about about mailing in that stuff you have to do that same procedure for credit freeze.
8: Okay and for him being 10 and not having an ID or verification of address or anything like that what do I do? To send in for
0: him. Well, they'll go through with you what kind of documentation you send as a parent. But I'm really sorry, and I've got more information for you when you go there on Clark.com that should help you with this. Follow me at Facebook.com/slash/ClarkHoward. Our web address: Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com/slash/ask. Marina's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Marina.
2: Hi, Clark. You are so knowledgeable and so generous to share all this information with us i have benefited so much from your website i go there for a lot of things and i got valuable very valuable information
0: well so you were you were sweet to say that and i am really proud of the new clark.com i think we've done uh, actually i get no credit for it our team has done a fantastic job making the site much easier to use and much more attractive, much easier to navigate, and so I hope that it serves you well day after day after day.
2: Yes, it does. Uh, Clark, I have a situation here. My daughter called me. She lives in New York. She's young, 25, and she asked me for my opinion, and I really don't know the answer, so I'm going to ask for you to help me figure this out. She wants to buy, she lives in New York, she gets paid like one hundred and twenty thousand, and the bonuses they vary from. Well, this year she's supposed to get something like, like a sixty thousand dollar bonus, and so.
0: Okay, wait, wait, wait. Only in New York, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> one hundred
0: and twenty thousand base, and then a sixty thousand bonus. That is yes. That is great money. Anywhere else in America, she would be living like a queen. In New York, you live like a pauper many times huge money like that.
2: See, that's true. Okay. So what you would like to do is to consider an investment in a new condo that a builder is going to build in Austin, Texas. And the condos are right now, they're selling for $400,000. And that's just your one bedroom condo in downtown prime property. They're not going to be ready till three years from now. And they won 20% down of that $414,000. And I asked her, I said, well, I've never heard of that. I said, I don't know what to tell you. What happens if he goes bankrupt? Or what? She said, I guess you lose the money. Okay.
0: Um, All right. Well, I, am, I am like very, very nervous suddenly. I wouldn't want my blood pressure taken right now because I'm feeling really nervous for your daughter, Marina. So she is going to stay living in New York correct yes well,
2: and this would, an, this would just be out this would just be an investment
0: it. for her in austin texas yeah this is this is i'm sorry this is not a good idea
2: she looked up the builder
0: and yeah builder i don't care said, i don't care let me tell you why uh, she's used to new york prices number one and even though parts of austin have become pricey that is too high a price point to as a point of entry for a rental property second you want a rental property in a community where you're nearby and you can handle that property. If she buys a property all the way across the country in Austin, she's trying to manage it by remote control, paying a management company to do it. She's buying in a spec building that won't even be finished if in 2018. Tell her to, to let this idea go. I wouldn't even consider it for another half instant.
2: Well, the reason she wants to buy now is because this won't be available by the time it's finished. Who
0: cares? It could be a lot cheaper. Remember, real estate goes in cycles, as we've seen. And buying brand new seldom works as an investment. Because construction costs, the cost of land, materials, everything involved, is more expensive per square foot on new construction versus existing so on every level I can think of I would discourage her from doing this and it would be a bad choice for her to do to get involved in owning real estate that far away from where she lives. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.